0: Greetings on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work that we're doing around the world. You can go to traincpe.org, or you can follow all the links from our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our Missions Church Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and it's from that fellowship that we share with you, god's Word there's a problem in Romans chapter five, verses twelve through twenty that must be solved. It's also found in 1 corinthians five twenty two there it says that in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. The question is who are these all? The last half of Romans five gives us a portrait of the impact of Christ's saving work as being surpassingly greater than the impact of Adam's sin. How so? How is it that in a world filled with the outcomes of sin and death that are universally sweeping over all of us, that what Christ has done at the cross will be expansively greater and impact far more individuals? Some give the answer that these passages teach universalism, that all will be saved in the end. We've answered that idea to show that this is not at all consistent with the teaching of Scripture. So, what is the answer to this conundrum? We'll explore that in our broadcast today. It's greater, it's more extensive, and that's why you have this phrase, even more, or how much more, and this is why you have this expression, that it surpassed or abounded, and then it, it abounded even more. Where sin abounded, grace did much more, it superabounded, it says. You can't get away from these things. That's what is being expressed. John Stott concludes consideration of this passage and the language that's used in this passage to draw the conclusion that the work of Jesus Christ to save men will be much more effective than the disobedience of Adam in bringing condemnation upon us all. He says this, quote, Christ will raise to life many more than Adam will drag to death and that God's grace will flow in more abundant blessing than the consequence of Adam's sin. Actually, John Calvin reached the same conclusion long before, writing of the grace of Jesus Christ, that it belongs to a greater number than to condemnation contracted by the first man. In other words, more will come under this grace. More will contract the grace, you might say, and come under the grace, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, than those who have contracted condemnation through the fall of Adam. And that seems to be what's being said to us, and you see it in the passage. Charles Hodge speaking on this passage and writing on this passage a couple hundred years ago, says this in looking at verse 21. The benefits of redemption shall far outweigh the evils of the fall. And then he begins to show the qualities of those benefits, but then finally he comes back to conclude that it's not just qualitatively exceeding it. Of course, life qualitatively is better than death. It goes without saying. But he goes to point out that ultimately what is being addressed here is the quantitative impact of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so he concludes that Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is giving us, quote, reason to believe that the lost shall compare to the saved in no greater proportion than the inmates of a prison to the mass of the community. In other words, go to the county jail and count the heads and then go out and count all the heads in our community and all the heads in our community, are like all those who will come under the saving work of Jesus Christ in relation to all those who have been brought under the influence of the death of Jesus Christ. Wonderful. Romans chapter 4, Paul takes us to the picture and image of Abraham. Abraham is, in Genesis chapter 15, called out from his tents. And God gives a promise to Abraham, and Abraham looks into the skies and sees all the stars in the sky. And if you've been up in the mountains in the middle of the night, you'll just see it's it's beyond numbering. And God says to Abraham, As the number of the stars of the sky, so shall your seed be. And no matter how many people have turned to Jesus Christ, when we study our Bibles, we see that only a remnant, only a remnant has turned to him. It doesn't seem like God is answering that promise, but that was God's promise. A numerical inundation of those who had come to believe in and find everlasting life and covenant through God through Abraham's faith and Paul indicates, by the way, that that promise that was given was not just given to those who were of Abraham's natural seed, but also those who are the seed of faith in Abraham. In other words, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you put your faith in him, you are no longer the child of Adam. You're the child of Abraham. You're of Abraham's faith. Here's the idea. Abraham is going to have more children than Adam. There They're going to be more of Abraham's faith that ultimately will come and enjoy and enter into all the blessings of God. That's what's being promised you. You don't see it. You don't see it. Well, that's as far as this passage goes. It doesn't tell us how that's going to be accomplished. It doesn't give an answer for what that's going to take place by saying that's going to be the great prevailing of God's salvation. We are inclined to only think of our salvation as a qualitative experience, right? That it's just something that we have and it gives us a great experience that surpasses what the world experiences. But God is actually promising as well, quantitative impact over all the earth in which A numberless band of people. Let me read that in the book of Revelation. We'll gather before the throne and worship him. Now I'm going to give you a bonus. Because we have to somehow say, well, what other teaching we have in Scripture that might provide for this opportunity to take place? And so the other title of my sermon was going to be Why I Am a Pre-Millennialist. The question is, where do these numbers come in? Where do we see this abounding take place? There is a, a teaching in the Scriptures. You find it in, again, Revelation chapter 20. In which at the end of this age, Christ will return and he will establish a reign on the earth that will last for a thousand years. The Messiah will reign and he'll govern over the earth and he'll restore the earth and he'll bring the earth under a time of great fruitfulness. That seems to be what we're reading in Psalm chapter 72. And he'll reign under the earth and he'll he'll rule with a rod of iron. He'll suppress, it says at that time that he'll put Satan in chains and cast him in the pit. And he will rule with a rod of iron over people. He'll suppress all the instincts of sin. And at the same time, he'll let the flourishing of life and peace take place at that time. And this is called the millennial period. Now, there are individuals, wonderful individuals, who deny the idea of the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. They would say, "Yeah, we're just kind of living in a spiritual millennium right now. And that's our personal experience, and it's a qualitative experience. It's not a quantitative thing. It's just a period of time in which we qualitatively have a higher spiritual life than everyone else. And so they're called amillennialists, and at some point in time, Jesus Christ returned. The problem is that doctrine doesn't allow for a time for these numbers to come pouring in that we've just read about. It doesn't allow for a time in which this super abounding quantitative influence takes place. And so those individuals look at this passage and say, they have to mean two different things. It has to be quantitative for Adam, and it's qualitative for us. And, and then there are individuals who say, well, we're postmillennialists. Now, don't leave the church if you don't hold to my view here, please. But just hang Just let me give you my defense. The postmillennialist says, well, really what's being described is a long period of time in which the church will slowly go into a golden age. And at some point in time, it'll reach a zenith of the golden age. And at that point in time, at the end of the golden age, Jesus Christ will come and he'll return and he'll set up the eternal state. And it'll It'll bring heaven down upon the earth and will reign forever. And that's postmillennialism. That's a very popular, by the way, view of the millennium. But again, it doesn't provide an answer to how and when we'll see these numbers pour in. You know what does? The pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ. At the end of this age that we're in, in which we see darkness prevailing, in which we see Jesus Christ saying that The road is broad, and many go to by destruction, and the road is narrow, and few that go into eternal life. At the end of this age, Christ is going to return. At the end of the tribulation, and during the tribulation, there's great judgments that will take place. But also during the tribulation, there are those that hear the gospel and are coming to Christ and being saved. And mortals, men upon the earth from every tongue and every tribe that are rising up in faith in Jesus Christ... And at that end of the time, Christ will come to set up His thousand-year reign, and these mortals will go into the everlasting kingdom. And we, who have been resurrection-raptured with Jesus Christ, will reign at that time along with Christ in that state. And in this perfect, blessed state, think of it: no disease, no war, complete peace, a fruitfulness that will bring ripened fruit to the tops of the mountaintops. Will ascend upon the earth for a thousand years. And in that moment where Christ is reigning, and Christ, the one who is reigning, bears in his hands the marks of the nail prints in which he bore the sins of the nations, will reign in grace over the people. And oh, there's going to be a massive revival in which the Bible says the knowledge of the Lord and of God will cover the earth like the waters of the sea. And oh, the numbers, the numbers. The faithful that will pour into the kingdom at that time is... Jesus Christ is triumphant in history. Adam will not triumph. His sin will not triumph. Jesus will sweep in the nations to gather around him and to receive his blessing. And then at the end of that age, we'll be drawn up into eternal state of worship and praise forever and ever with him. And that's the promise and perspective of scripture. And so our mission work and our going to the nations is to broadcast the coming victory and to call men now to enter into that triumph. Be a part of that band that will reign and rule with Christ even during the millennium and enjoy him throughout all eternity. And there's an answer to the riddle that's before us in this passage. And that's why I'm not a universalist. And that's why I am a pre-millennialist and exultant. If my brothers who are not, were amillennialists or post-millennialists want to talk to me, I'll embrace them and I'll love them. And I'll tell them, well, you'll find out someday. Right? <laughs> we'll find out. What does this all call from us? Tremendous assurance. I am His and He is mine. Assurance when the nations seem to be all going wrong and the world seems to be turning upside down, etc. Assurance that God's promises are true and amen. It means this, that if I can believe that God will one day turn all the nations to Himself and draw a great cavalcade of a numberless band of those who believe and trust in Him throughout history, that right now He can turn the sin that's in my own life he can turn it around. He can turn my own rebellious heart. He can turn my own brokenness. He can save me and redeem me. If He can turn the ages, and what I see happening through the ages and throughout history, and one day promise, promises, I'm going to reign over it all. He can come now in me and reign in me and turn these things over. I can trust in Him. I have assurance in Him. He can work in me mightily, and I can trust Him for a full and complete salvation. And I trust Him not only to forgive me for the depth of all my sins, but now having received Him and believed in Him, I believe in Him. I trust in Him to save me from every appearance and every evidence of the power of sin that still roils in my flesh. And that's what we're going to go into in Romans chapter 6. It's a picture of how God now begins to give us glorious victory over the powers and impulses of our own flesh and our own fleshly life. It means I can not only have assurance, but I can have confidence. I can walk through the ages and the day we're in with confidence. I'm not ruining and, oh, look what's happening to the world. No, I'm confident. I tell people this. If you're a premillennialist, millennialist you're the only person who can sanely rearrange the furniture on the Titanic, even as it's sinking, right? Because you know, whatever it's going into, it's rising up, Jesus is going to come and raise it up and rule and reign in righteousness over all the earth and I'm just practicing for that day and being faithful to the delegation that he'll give me in that day when he reigns upon the earth and I can live in confidence and as a result. I'm ready to be in complete obedience to the one who's coming to reign and rule with a rod of iron. I want to be under his rule and reign in my life right now. Guide me and direct me in. There's a certain dignity I can bear in that as well, isn't it? I'm not in a panic. I rise above these things with a sense of dignity that's mine through Jesus Christ. And oh, oh what devotion we give. We're on the winning side. And our Savior, shall we? not that encouraging? Incredibly. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Oh God, how we praise you and thank you. We worship you and glorify you. We thank you for all you've done for us, what you're doing in us now. And we thank you for the vision of what you've promised, even in the hints in the inklings that are found in this passage, of the much more that Christ shall accomplish. Lord, by faith we see these things and we believe them. And we see the echoes of that reality in our own life because we are not what we were. We conquered something that seemed to be unconquerable, our hearts, our souls. We praise you for that. We glorify you. Thank you for joining us at the Bread of Life, where we gather to feast on God's Word. If these messages are feeding your soul, let us know. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to contact us with a message of encouragement. Until the next time, may God bless you.